Last week, um, Gordon started preaching through 1 John, this short letter, and uh, we're going to pick that up again today. And the, the particular phrase that really struck me as I was looking at this is, is this phrase right at the beginning there, and now, dear children, continue in him. And uh, that's really what I want to, uh, to speak about, continuing in faith. So where better to start, eh? <laughs> Do you know who this is? Who is it? Ronnie O'Sullivan. I don't really follow the snooker, to tell you the truth. <laughs> so I really wasn't quite sure who he was. But um, on Tuesday morning this week, it was rather difficult to avoid him um, because he won the... Uh, what did he win? The World Championship. That's it. The World Championship. He won it for a record equaling seventh time at the age of 46. And uh, so he was all over both the front pages and the back pages of the newspapers. And I don't know if any of the rest of you heard it, but there was a really interesting um, interview on the radio with the guy who was his sports psychologist. He was a guy called Dr. Steve Peters. Because, I mean, I, I was only very vaguely aware of all this, but O'Sullivan used to be a sort of wild child of snooker. Um, he apparently won his first uh, ranking title at the age of 17. And I don't know whether that's what contributed to it, but he was a difficult guy. He had problems with alcohol and drug abuse. He was disciplined by the uh, snooker authorities, apparently, numerous times over his long career. But the interesting thing that came out in this, this interview with the sports psychologist was that that wasn't, you didn't see any of that in this last uh, competition. He was a man much more calm, much more at peace with himself, and clearly loving his uh, snooker. And so the interviewer asked this sports psychologist, why? What is it that you've been doing with this guy that has had such a dramatic effect on him as an individual? And he spoke a little bit about his regime of keeping fit and his greater understanding of himself and what his triggers for his behaviors were and getting control of his demons, all of that. And then the sports psychologist was asked this question. Do you sense your work is done with O'Sullivan? And there was a short pause, and the psychologist said, definitely not. <laughs> is God's work done with us? Definitely not. <laughs> this whole thing about um, continuing in Christian faith is, is really important for us. I mean, there's lots of aspects of faith, of course, that are important. But in a sense, this is where we are. Because um, if you think of the, the, the Christian life as a journey, it has a beginning, it has an ending, and it has a continuing and the continuing is the bit that we're in, you and I. 
many of us. There, there may be some who just right at the beginning, and, and there will be some, although they may not be here, but who are towards the end. But for all of us, we're in that kind of continuing space. The beginning of our Christian lives happens when we encounter the living God in a way that penetrates us, penetrates our souls. And of course, different people have different um, language and, and different ways of describing what that beginning is. Some talk about being born again. Some talk about coming to faith. Some people use the language of giving their lives to Jesus. doesn't really matter what the language is. What's important is that for, for each person who becomes a Christian, there is a beginning. There is a point at which that grace of God penetrates us. And, and that can happen over a short length of time or, or a longer length of time, but it, it, there's a beginning to it. The ending is when we approach our own death. And death is not a very fashionable subject, is it? <laughs> you know, in the Victorian era, they used to talk about death and not sex. <laughs> yeah. And now we talk about sex and not death. But death is, is when our earthly uh, Christian life comes to an end. And as this passage says, we, we know where we are now. We don't know what exactly that will be in the future for us. So that's where we are. We're in, we're in between the beginning and the end. We're in the uh, continuing. And now, dear children, continue in him. And John, in this passage, uses actually the language of sin to talk about the importance of this continuing work in Christian life. Because we live in the presence of sin. Sin is, is all around us. And it's inside us. And, and so that the, the task of uh, the continuing Christian life is, is dealing with that reality. If we think of sin in terms of, of murder or adultery or child abuse, you know, the kind of big headline stuff, then it's possible to excuse ourselves, isn't it? And say, well, you know, I don't do any of that stuff. I can't be so bad. But the reality is that sin is much more subtle and much more powerful than that. That it, it, it's part of the structures even within which we live. They, they, um, Willie Still, some of you will know the name Willie Still, he was um, a minister in Aberdeen for many years, very um, well-known expositor um, in terms of uh, Christian faith. And he used to talk about the three P's of sin. He used to talk about the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And the penalty of sin is something that, that we have been saved from. That's done. That's finished. That, that Jesus died on the cross in order for the penalty of sin to be removed. The power of sin is what we wrestle with, you and I. That's something that is still ongoing. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we, can, we can combat that. But it, it, it's something we live with. The presence of sin is, is going to be there 
right through our lives. It's always going to be present. And so continuing in the Christian life is about seeing that power of sin diminish while we continue to live with the presence of sin round about us. How do we do that? Well, here's a few pointers that it seems to me come from this passage. Continuing in faith. The first one is about identity. Because what we do and how we live comes out of who we are, doesn't it? You know, as human beings, we can pretend to be something we're not for a little while, but in the end, what we are will come out. My dad was rather fond of saying that you can uh, fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. And that's another way, I think, of saying, you know, what we are will will come out. It's our identity. It's who we are. There's nothing much we can do about that. It, 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 it's formed in us. Where does it come from, that identity? Well, it, it, it's a complicated thing, actually, isn't it? It comes from the families we grew up in. It comes from the genes we inherited. It comes from the education that we had, the opportunities and failures that we encountered, the expectations of parents and other significant figures. It comes from the access that we had or didn't have to resources and encouragement round about us. All of those contribute to our identity because our, we're complex, you and I. Complex people. And that identity is, is not a, a simple thing. But here's the thing. It's the families from which we come play an absolutely key role. And what this passage says about our identity is that you and I, we're the children of God. That's the family that we belong to. That's the family out of which we came. And our, in, in some sense, uh, that when that shapes our identity, we can't help but be the people that we are formed from within that family. The older I get, the more my sisters tell me I look like my dad. <laughs> which I think they think is a bit of a shame. Um, <laughs> actually, I don't mind that. Um, the thing that I think I, I, I wish for is that I not only look like him, but actually that I would imitate him. He was a, a gentle, honorable man. And I, I, I hope that actually as I get older, some of that uh, family likeness is seen not just in the way I look, but in the way I am. And that's exactly what happens to us in terms of the continuing Christian life. We, we begin to reflect the family likeness, the DNA of where we came from. I don't know about you, but there are many, and I, I guess I would put myself in this bracket, that you know, perhaps there was a stage in growing up when I was rather ashamed of my family. Did you go through that? You know, they weren't very cool. And they weren't very rich. And they didn't have the kind of things that other people had. And why could I not be part of another family, for goodness sake, you know? <laughs> but as I got a bit older, I perhaps understood where that family identity came from. And, and, and even 
to value and appreciate some of the things in those family values that I'd inherited. As children of God, we could not come from a place of greater blessing. We could not. And so, when we fail and when we fall into sin, and we will, it's a bit like the adolescent, you know, rejecting the family values and saying, nah, I don't want to be that. I want to be something different. Because even when we do that, God is still our home. And the Father's heart still aches for us to come back. And our identity is still in his love for us. And that's still where we belong. And I think remembering that really helps me because it, it, it says to me, in continuing on this path, my identity is I'm a child of God. I don't always live up to that in the same way that I'm sure at times I was a disappointment to my parents. But that's my identity. That's where it comes from. So there's identity. And then the second thing is this, intentionality. I mean, if identity is, is the stuff that happens, you know, the way that we are almost unconsciously, then intentionality is the exact opposite of that because intentionality is saying, I am going to be like this. <laughs> I'm going to behave like this. That's my intention. Verse 7 says, He who does what is right is righteous. And the reason that this is important is because in a sense identity helps us in continuing faith because it engages our heart. It reminds us of, of who we belong to. Intentionality is important because it engages our will, our willpower. And willpower is important in the continuing Christian life because, at least in the short term, sin is pleasurable. <laughs> Are you allowed to say that? <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? I mean, you know, if there was no attraction to sin, then there wouldn't be a problem. But there is a problem. And that's because in the short term, at least, sin is pleasurable or appears to be pleasurable. Wouldn't it be pleasurable to have one more drink? Wouldn't it be pleasurable to avoid tax by not declaring something on my tax return? Wouldn't it be pleasurable to watch my bank balance grow and grow and grow and not think about what I could do with the resources that I have to benefit others and so on? And because sin appears in the guise of something that is attractive, it takes willpower to resist that. Another drink may result in a hangover, in an argument, in the breakdown of a relationship. I will not do it. Avoiding tax means telling lies on my tax return, and beyond that, it means denying funds to the NHS. I will not do it. The love of money can become the root of all evil. I will not expose myself to that. The friend that I used to work with in, in Westerhells had a rather striking little image for this, and he used to say, you think of, a, of sin as one of those boiled sweets, you know, that has a sort of hard 
outside and a liquid center. And the outside is really sweet and nice and it's really tasty. But the center, the liquid stuff in the middle is going to make you sick. It's going to make you ill. And actually what we try and do is we try and suck it as long as we can, don't we? Before we sp spit it out. So it doesn't make us sick. And actually what intentionality does is to say, I'm not even going to put that in my mouth. I'm going to keep away from that. Because it will end up making me ill. So intentionality is choosing to do what is right. And those two together, I think, are, are hugely important in terms of the, the continuing um, way of, of living. Identity, who we are, uh, intentionality, choosing what we do. And together, they kind of add up to this, which is integrity. And integrity is when the thing that we say and the thing that we do <laughs> match up. You know, when they are the same. When the values and principles of Christian faith inform and shape each part of the way that we live and the way that we speak. And verse 9 says, no one born of God will continue to sin. And actually continues an important word in that sentence too. Because earlier on in this letter, the, in part of the, the passage that Gordon read last week, it says, if anyone says, I haven't sinned, then we're lying. We have. So the key word in this thing about um, not being a child of God is continuing to sin. And this is the way that I think about it. I hope this, this helps you. Um, yes, the integrity bringing it together. If, if, if that's God's standards, over time... They don't change. That's, that's the, the principle, the value, the, the standard that God sets. Here's my behavior. Not very stable, <laughs> to say the least. But here's the seven-day average. <laughs> and I think this is what it means by not continuing to sin. It means that actually that green line moving towards integrity is approaching where God's standards are despite the ups and downs that happen on a, a daily basis and a weekly basis and a yearly basis that the, the swings in my behavior begin to approach something nearer to God's standards and I think that's what integrity is and I think that is what continuing in faith means for me. It comes from our identity, who we are as children of God, our intentionality choosing what is right, and integrity, which means acting out of those two things and beginning to approximate the standards that God sets for us. Let us pray.